Hello, and welcome to Staff Picks, the podcast for movie nerds by movie nerds. As always, I'm Mario Lanza, and I am your host on this podcast where we delve into the movies that maybe need a little more love in the world. And our movie today is an interesting choice because uh, it's not a movie that's especially obscure. I wouldn't say it's a movie that's especially looked down upon. It's just one of these movies that is fun to talk about, and I just wanted to do a show about it because I like to uh, delve into funny movies that make people laugh, and I like to hear why they make people laugh. So the movie I'm talking about today is a classic struggle of man against nature, against a planet without air. It's a, it's a classic uh, royalty tale about the sad princess and her lot in life where she must marry somebody of nobility and the, all the lamentation she faces when she's unable to do that. I am talking, of course, about the gripping drama Spaceballs from 1987, which uh, this might be a controversial uh, uh, opinion, but I would I think is the last great Mel Brooks movie. And my guest today, I'm going to bring her on here. We're going to have some fun talking about this one. Uh, let's see. She is a uh, trivia expert. She's a big movie fan, pop culture fan. She has her own uh, movie project called 30 Movies in 30 Days. A uh, friend of mine going way back. Welcome to the show, Sarah Casa. Hey, glad to be here. I'm excited to talk about this one with you because I haven't done a good goofy comedy in a while, and it always adds to uh, it's a whole different flavor when I do an episode, episode like this as opposed to like Arlington Road or something gripping. So I'm very excited we're going to let our hair down and have some fun with this one. So am I. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. All right, so Sarah, why don't you give us a little backstory on who you are, how we got here, why Spaceballs? Why, why this movie and specifically did you want to talk about uh, well, I've always been a fan of movies, and this is one of the first movies I remember, like, watching and really loving. The first time I saw it, like, back in the mid-90s, when my parents let us watch it, which is amazing, considering I think I was less than 10 at the time. <laughs> and, because I was born the year this came out, so obviously I didn't see it in theaters. And then, um, like, we met, like, through the Survivor community, we've just been friends for, like, the last, I don't know how many years, and when you mentioned first mention of this podcast, I was like, oh, I still want to do that. <laughs> but then you promise history of the world part one to Brad Culpepper, so like, what other movies are there? <laughs> yeah, um, Spaceballs is an interesting pick because I will flat out admit, I it was not a movie that first crossed my mind on my first run through of movies I thought would be perfect for staff picks. But I had a lot of people mentioning Mel Brooks movies. They love Mel Brooks movies, and like you said, I've already promised history of the world. I've already promised Blazing Saddles to other people, and uh, and Sarah was wanted to talk about one, so you came up with Spaceballs, and, I, and again, I was thinking. I'm not entirely sure that one's underloved, but again, it's also in a movie that I, I, there's a lot of interesting things going on here that I think we want to delve into. So I actually am quite thankful that you uh, mentioned this because I just watched it again for the la for la uh, last night and I hadn't seen it in many years. I'd forgotten actually how really funny this movie is. Yeah, I was watching it today earlier and then I was like watching it again with Mel Brooks's commentary. And I loved it because he was just like talking as if he was watching home movies. It's like, oh, this actor here, he's great. He's wonderful. And this actor here, he's a really funny guy. <laughs> um, are you a fan of Mel Brooks in general? I guess that's kind of an obvious question since you've been <laughs> jonesing for one of his movies. What What's your favorite Mel Brooks movie? I'm just curious here. It's actually Spaceballs. Uh, History of the World Part 1 is a close second, but I love all his movies. The only one I haven't seen was Life Stinks. Okay, and are you going to stand up to me and challenge me on my opinion that this is the last good Mel Brooks movie? Are you going to defend Robin Hood, Men in Tights? Uh, I'm not going to like say you're completely wrong, but I can understand where that opinion would come from. Mm -hmm. I mean, I do like uh, like Robin Hood and Dracula, but like I wouldn't say they're his best. 
Yeah, it's definitely for people who don't know. This is movie came out in 1987, Spaceballs, and Mel Brooks' very long storied career as a comedy writer, director, comedian, just one of the most respected names in Hollywood. Goes all the way back to like Sid Caesar and working with him. But like he made very edgy R-rated movies, some of the absolute edgiest movies you're ever going to see if you've never seen Blazing Saddles. Have fun with that one the first time. <laughs> but then. As we got into the 80s here, he kind of softened his uh, punches a little bit. And this, I believe, I'm not 100% sure, I think, is this the first PG movie he did? I think so. I'm not entirely sure in terms of the ratings, but also like the rating systems have just changed over the years. So technically, this should be a PG-13 movie. Yeah, it absolutely should. In fact, I was just reading some trivia that there's an F word in this movie, which was not allowed in PG movies. So I don't know how this one slipped through with just a PG. Which I quote all the time, but... You quote just the F word or the entire... The, the whole line, like, fuck, even in the future, nothing works. <laughs> I quote that all the time. Okay, just making sure. But yeah, so it's a this odd thing that it kind of came about as we're entering the twilight of Mel Brooks's career. And at the time, this was a movie that was not all that well received because, again, it's a little more toned down than some of his other movies. And the Star Wars thing, I guess that's kind of the elephant in the room here that... This movie came out, it's like a dead perfect parody of Star Wars, but it came out 10 years after Star Wars. And even at the time, I remember thinking, like, shouldn't we have been doing a Star Wars parody like six, seven years ago? Like, it seemed like it was a little late. Yeah, I, I, I saw that, like, in Roger Ebert's, like, review of it. And then, like, I'm thinking nowadays, even movies like that um, Sin City sequel that came out a couple years ago. I'm like, why is that coming out now? Then I thought, it's like, eh, coming out now, it's when it can be done. Just go with it. Yeah, but at the time, that was, I mean, you would be a little young if you were born in 87. But yeah, that's that's what I remember as well, thinking, wow, like I've seen so many years of Star Wars parodies going back to, have you have you seen Hardware Wars, one of my favorites? No, but I've seen, I, I know of it. Like when I was a kid, I thought Hardware Wars was the funniest thing ever. Admittedly, I was seven, and my standards were not super high, but, like, and that was seven years before Spaceball, so that's why, that's kind of the timeline people are looking at here, like, really? We're doing Star Wars parodies in 87? Because, like, even at the time, people were thinking, yeah, this franchise is kind of played out, these are all old, like, what's the point of this? And, again, to Mel Brooks's credit, this movie absolutely made me laugh when I was a kid, and it still makes me laugh today. It holds up really well, at least the jokes that work hold up. But that's just the one thing I want people to know, that it was not an especially big hit at the time. Yeah, like, even now when I see people mention, like, just Mel Brooks movies in general, like, Spaceballs, for some reason, is always, like, on their lower end of their rankings. Mm -hmm. I'm like, why? It's the best. Yeah, I mean, it's, I would I would think a lot of it has to do with when you saw, how many Mel Brooks movies you saw before Spaceballs. I'm guessing that's what probably would drive a lot of opinions. No, probably, because I think Spaceballs was the first one. Yeah, and for me, absolutely, my parents would not let me watch R-rated movies. Mel Brooks movies are just about the top of that list. Absolutely were not going to be allowed in my house when I was eight years old, probably for good reason. So, I again, this was the first one that I saw in a theater, and I have fond memories of it. And I even remember, like, in the early 90s, like, when the Internet first started, and people would go on message boards and talk about movies and quote movies that... Spaceballs was one. You would get instant respect if you could quote Spaceballs. It just seemed to be one of those movies, even in the early 90s, everybody liked. I can see that. Okay, and I guess the other thing I wanted to mention about this movie is that Spaceballs will ever be uh, known for one thing. It's the movie that eventually gave us the question that still lingers to this day. Is that Bill Paxton or is that Bill Pullman? <laughs> now, are you a, uh, a Paxton head or a Pullman head? What is your preference here, Sarah? 
Uh, kind of neither. Like, cause uh, there's not. I haven't seen a whole. I've seen more Bill Paxton movies than Bill Pullman. Mm-hmm. But just in general, I like Bill Pullman more. Okay, now I will put you on the spot. Could you name three Bill Pullman movies, and you're not allowed to say Independence Day? No. <laughs> okay. <I'm> just... <laughs> <laughs> it took the one movie. <laughs> I, this is how the, it works. Growing up in the '90s and you know the 2000s, like you had these two actors, Paxton and Pullman, and they were never like the biggest name in a movie. They were always just kind of the other second tier or third tier in a movie. And again, they do totally different things. So if you know them, it's easy to tell them apart. But growing up, when we were growing up and watching all these movies, like they're like the same guy. Like which one is which? You never would be able to tell them apart. Although, to be fair, Bill Paxton never saved uh, humanity from an alien invasion. So that's all Pullman. Nope, just a twister. Okay, so we're going to delve into this movie. Again, there's not a lot to say about comedies. Other than, like, when I do a drama podcast, there's way more intricate. you got to spell out the storyline and the foreshadowing. With comedies, it's not quite the same thing. With comedies, we're just going to go through this movie, and we're going to point out things that make us laugh or we enjoyed. Although, I have to ask, Sarah, how many times have you seen Spaceballs? I couldn't tell you. Uh, let me put it this way. Enough to be able to quote the movie pretty much verbatim. That's, that's why you're on the show. So, thank you for saying the right answer. As long as you can quote this movie, you'll fit in very well around here. And the funny thing is, like, the first time I saw this movie, it was, like, we were visiting my uh, grandma's uh, apartment in Queens, and it was on the TV there, like, back on whatever the WB affiliate was, back when WB still existed. Mm -hmm. And, like, my mom happened to be taping it also at home, so we had the tape at home to finish it. And, like, you know, they it's a TV edit, so they edit the more naughty parts out of it, especially the bad words. And so every time, like, they say shit or bullshit or something, they just blank it out. Except for when they're the combing the desert scene. <laughs> <laughs> they left that in? No, they didn't leave it in. They garbled it. So he's, instead of saying, we ain't found shit, he goes, we ain't found nook. <laughs> and that's what it sounded like. And that's funnier than the actual line. <laughs> Apparently that's a space word, nook. You would just have to know what that means. It's like, why did they garble it? Instead of just blanking it out like all the other times. <laughs> Well, it's funny because a lot of times back in the day, especially the 80s, they would film two versions of scenes, one for TV and one for the theater. And I know Mel Brooks had done that specifically. I'd seen things in the history of the world that are different when you watch it on TV. So apparently by the the mid to late 80s, we weren't doing that anymore. We were just making up space garbage. <laughs> I just found it like, so it like, because clearly it's not part of the audio. <laughs> So when I watched, like, the whole movie, like, unedited, like, when I rented it from the video store, when I found, like, all the actual cursing in it, it's like, oh, oh, that's what the line's supposed to be. Gotcha. Wait, so you could not deduce that he said, we ain't found shit? No. I thought the the, the garbled line was the actual word he was supposed to see he was saying. <laughs> and the garbled line even worked. That's how good this movie is. The garbled... It's funnier than the real line. <laughs> that's great. I never knew that. I will look for that if I ever see this movie on the WB or whatever whatever that passes for it nowadays. Yeah, and the funny that the guy who played him went on to play Tuvok in Star Trek Voyager. <laughs> Did they garble all his lines in that one too? Well, he was a soulless Vulcan, so you tell me. <laughs> okay, um, one other thing I wanted to mention before we get into Spaceballs here is that what I watched about, what I liked about this movie when I saw it in 87 is kind of not what I think about when I watch it now. What's interesting when you when you watch this movie now is I, I kind of look at it as like a love letter to Rick Moranis. It's like a Rick Moranis showcase. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because he's one of those guys who 
I don't know if people know this, basically retired from Hollywood. He did, you know, he was a pretty big comic actor in the 80s. He's in Ghostbusters, and, and he did Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and then this movie. And then he kind of retired. I don't know if a lot of people know. He basically dropped out of Hollywood, went home to be a, raise his kids, and he just never came back. And people are forever trying to get Rick Moranis to come back and be a big movie star again. But when you watch this movie now, I almost see this as his last big comic hurrah, Spaceballs, because I would say... Without question, I think he's the funniest guy in this movie. They build the entire movie around him, and he steals almost every scene he's in. Oh, for sure. Now, are you a, a Moranis fan as well? Yeah, I I definitely am. Like, and it wasn't until I realized like wait, he hasn't been in a whole lot of things, so I looked it up and saw the reason why he retired. I was like, oh, that's that's sad. Yeah, it's it's sad, and it's he's one of those guys I didn't appreciate at the time, and I have friends who are big SCTV fans who will give me crap about that. You don't like SCTV? You don't like Rick Moranis? And I'm like, you know, he was just one of many guys that were funny at the time. I didn't really pay attention to him, but now I watch this movie, and it's like, this is the Rick Moranis showcase, so that's what I really take out of this movie now. Yeah. It's like just everything about him, like just the fact that he's like a short Darth Vader from the costume with, with, the, t with the boat with the necktie. That also looks like balls. It, like, the whole thing is just hilarious. Yeah, the thing that I love about this movie, and it's something I didn't really notice for many years, is his little tie. Just how comical it is. He's got the little Fred Flintstone tie as he's walking around, you know, throwing around his weight and being the most fearsome villain in the galaxy. Yet he's got this tiniest little tie, and I think it's the funniest thing. And then, like, the cape clasp, like, firm the balls, so it just looks like a penis, which is just, on top of that, it's hilarious. <laughs> Something I noticed about, or I didn't notice, but I read about it in the Internet Movie Database trivia today, was that, I don't know if people caught there's a little in-joke in this, that every time when Rick Moranis is playing Darth, uh, Dark Helmet, when he pulls down the helmet, he lowers his voice and adds like a, a black accent almost. Yeah. Which is very similar to what they did in Star Wars. They had David Prowse playing Darth Vader, and then whenever the mask was on, it's James Earl Jones with a big, deep, booming voice. And Moranis kind of does that as a tribute to James Earl Jones that he almost adopts. They, they call it in uh, in the trivia page an, an African accent, which is not how I would describe it. But it's a his voice completely changes when the helmet's on, which I think is a nice little touch. And then like just like the like the physical things, like when he like every time he like brings the brings the face mask up or down when it falls down it's, it's just it has to roll in on the floor <laughs> yeah there's so many just little touches in this movie that i don't know will be funny to describe if people haven't seen it before but yeah just rick moranis in this movie constantly just getting crushed thrown into things things falling on his head him getting knocked out and again that's again that's why i just keep coming back to that that this whole movie is just a rick moranis showcase and that's what the one thing even if you think this movie's juvenile and silly and stupid and it is but even if you don't like movies like that, I do think you should respect Rick Moranis and this giving it his all, making this movie work. And it's just like like the way how he uh, like breaks the fourth wall, kind of like when the camera like runs into him when he's saying something menacing, <laughs> or like when he kills the sound guy during the big fight at the end. Like it's like that just it kills me how funny it is. Yeah, you mentioned Dark Helmet where he hits the boom mic operator with the the lightsaber at the end. One of my favorite jokes in the movie. There's actually. I would say three really clever jokes in this movie that I was impressed that Mel Brooks came up with, especially at this uh, point in his career. But we'll get into that when we walk through the uh, the story. Are you ready to walk through the story of Lone Star and Princess Vespa and Spaceballs? Yes. Let's let's do this. Okay. So here we go. Um, I'll, I'll try to keep this fairly broad again, so we can get into the jokes. But Spaceballs is the story of a. Uh, of a princess, we'll say it's we'll, we'll start with her. We'll say it's the story of Princess Vespa. She is the 
daughter of the king of the druids on prince on uh what's the planet druidia druidia yeah. yeah and it's the day of her royal wedding and she doesn't want to get married she flees she uh doesn't want just does she doesn't isn't in love with this guy she leaves her planet druidia she goes up into space and at this point, she becomes a pawn in the epic struggle between good and evil, where there's these evil people called the Space Balls, which is basically like Star Wars. It's the equivalent of the Empire. And then the good guy, Lone Star, who's basically the Han Solo equivalent. And they'll be fighting over her because the bad guys want to use her for ransom. The good guy falls in love with her and wants to save her so he can get all this money because he's in it for fortune and glory. And basically, that's the movie. Pretty much. But don't forget, there's bingo on Tuesday. Yes, and there's bingo on Tuesday. <laughs> okay, yeah, so the movie opens with, it's just this big overhead shot of this space destroyer flying over the camera, just like Star Wars. And this is one of the better jokes in the movie where anybody who's seen Star Wars knows this, this, this spaceship just kind of keeps going and going and going. It's really big. And they decide to double down in this movie with the opening shot where this spaceship called Spaceball One is like, 10 times longer than an imperial destroyer and it just keeps going and i always remember in the theater that got a big laugh because it's one of these things where it's funny and then it's not funny and then it's still going on and it gets funny again yeah mel brooks actually said that he wanted to just make 90 minutes of that <laughs> but, but the studio told him like no no you actually have to make a movie yeah i mean but that is a pretty good meta joke right there if you know the first scene of star or of a uh, new hope i guess we can call it that now it was for many years it was just called star wars but it's a new hope yeah, and so uh, you have these evil people on the ship. You have uh, the evil, uh, who is there? Uh, Dark Helmet is the main guy. That's Rick Moranis. He's got the sidekick, Colonel Sanders. <laughs> Another wonderful joke for people who may be too young to know that's the KFC founder, Colonel Sanders. Let's see, and then the, the other main bad guy is President Scroob, played by Mel Brooks. And these are the three most evil people in the galaxy, and they fly around. Just everyone hates them, and... What we've basically been told is that they come from this planet, Spaceball, that has wasted all their natural resources. They've they've frittered away all their air. They have no air left. So they're in the, searching around in the galaxy trying to find another planet with air that they can steal it from. And this is where they come to planet Druidia, where Vespa is from, played by Daphne Zuniga. And they're basically going to grab her, hold her for ransom, and tell the king... Either you give us your air on your planet or we kill your daughter. And that's that's really the crux of where the storyline is going to go. Well, they don't actually kill her. Or don't threaten to kill her. Oh, yes. We find out later. Yeah, there's... <laughs> well, we'll save that. I, I want to save the, the... Yeah, well, we'll save that. The twist reveal for our audience here. <laughs> and so what am I missing? Anything I'm missing here at the start, Sarah? And just that she's, like, engaged to be married to Prince Valium with the Prince Valiant haircut and... As his name suggests, he's always falling asleep. <laughs> and there's a great running joke here at the start of the movie that Dark Helmet, again, Rick Moran, is stealing every single scene he's in. He always wants everything to work the way it should work on the spaceship. People need to be following his orders. And at one point, someone's gone over his head and done something that he wasn't supposed to do. And like Darth Vader, uh, Dark Helmet will reach out and force choke them. He has the, the force. It's called the Schwartz in the movie. He can choke someone to death. But in this version, because it's a Mel Brooks movie, he doesn't force choke them. What he does is he shoots a laser beam into their nuts. <laughs> and it will lead to one of my favorite running jokes of any movie in the 80s, where every time Dark Helmet's angry about something, all his superiors around all his inferiors around him will grab their balls protectively, knowing they're about to get shot in the nuts. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sorry, when I'm 13, that's really funny. That's one of the funniest things in an 80s movie. And this is... Oh, 31, it's still funny. <laughs> 
Okay, 31. There you go. So Sarah can back that up. It's not a male or female thing. Anyone. It's universal humor that people getting lasers into their nuts is funny. Hey, if ladies get kicked in that area, it still hurts. <laughs> yes. And again, I would argue this is, I mean, despite it being silly and juvenile, and I'm kind of, I'm kind of underplaying it as being the, a good movie, but it's like, this really is one of the legitimately funniest movies of the late 80s, I would say. And you'll, you'll hear us giggling as we get to some of these scenes, because we've seen them so many times. I mean, even George Lucas, when he said, when he, when he saw the movie, he told Mel Brooks, like, hey, this, if you didn't want to do a Star Wars parody, this would make a good uh, adventure movie. <laughs> so this would be a good standalone drama, you think? Yeah, if it's like, change the setting or whatever. Do you think when Mel Brooks was angry when he was talking to George Lucas, if Lucas would instinctively grab his nuts and say, of course not, sir. <laughs> I want to imagine that so hard. <laughs> okay, so yeah, Dark Helmet and Colonel Sanders are flying around and they've found Princess uh, Vespa, who is fleeing. She's up in a spaceship flying around and they're like, oh, look, she came right to us. Let's go kidnap her. And we got Vespa in there and she's got her sidekick, Dot Matrix, played by a kind of an understated Joan Rivers. Yeah. Yeah, Joe Rivers, I mean, she gets a big billing in this as being the sidekick, but she's not especially funny. People who may know her later in her career know she got really, really uh, racy and raunchy and would say pretty much anything, and you would never knew what was going to come out of her mouth. But it is a very understated Joan Rivers role, I would say, here. And just to like point out the joke, while they're in the car, like right after they, they fled the planet, she goes, can we talk? <laughs> like a trademark. <laughs> oh, she gives her catchphrase. I didn't catch that. Yeah, and then, uh, like, when Vespa can't hear her because there's music playing in the background, and she goes, what? And she takes off her, like, her her cinnamon bun hair <laughs> with her actually headphones. Yes. Yeah, there's a nice little homage to Princess Leia's cinnamon bun hair where they have Princess Vespa literally just wearing headphones that are shaped like that. <laughs> okay, so they're flying around, and they're uh, being menaced by Dark Helmet and the Spaceballs, and in comes our hero, Captain Lone Star, and we meet him. It's Bill... Paxton or Pullman, one of them, I don't remember. No, it's Pullman. Pullman, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, whatever that word is that they use for the, the guy combing the desert, that was his last name. <laughs> Nook. Nook, yeah. So, Bill Nook is flying around in a big Winnebago, and he's got a sidekick played by John Candy, and this is our Chewbacca, uh, homage. It's, uh, John Candy is half man, half dog, he's called a Mog. His name is Barf. And I will say, I'm not the biggest John Candy fan. I didn't like most John Candy movies, but he is really pretty funny in this one. Probably the second funniest after uh, Dark Helmet, I would say. Oh, for sure. Like, he, he almost steals the movie. Like, if, if just taking, like, like, Dark Helmet out of the picture, like, the next funniest character is definitely him. So if something were to happen to Dark Helmet, then he would step in as the leader of the Spaceballs? I won't go that far. I'm just saying, like, if, like, just not, like, obviously Dark Helmet is the star of the movie, but, like, besides him, then you got Barf. Okay, I was just arguing the theology of this movie. I wasn't sure. Like on the good side of the force. <laughs> the upside. Okay, so yeah, um, Lone Star is just this renegade rogue. He flies around the galaxy. He's like a space pirate. And we learn here that he owes a lot of money to a gangster. And again, when I was a kid, this is probably my favorite joke in the movie. In Star Wars, you have Jabba the Hutt. In this one, the variant is Pizza the Hutt. <laughs> He's a big blob of cheese and pepperoni. <laughs> it's a really nasty slash hilarious visual gift, this this uh, Pizza the Hut scene. And voiced by Dom DeLuise. That's correct, who has probably eaten mini pizzas in his day. Yeah. And I love the, like his, his sidekick, Vinny, like just the makeup job they did on him, because there's like no prosthetics on him. It's all makeup. 
Yeah, yeah, for people, I don't know if people have seen the movie recently, but there, if you may remember this, but yeah, Pizza the Hut has a sidekick, Vinny, and he's this metallic robot, and he make it look like he has all these angles and different, like, uh, folds in the metal on his face, but it's it's really cool when you watch it and realize that's all just shading. It's really kind of cool. Like, the, like, aside from just being, like, a parody movie, like, you wouldn't expect it to have, like, that good production values but like the from like the makeup to the costumes to the special effects which were done by uh industrial light and magic it's just a really top-notch made film why do you go into that that's actually an interesting trivia point because i just read that this morning that mel brooks you know this movie has a huge budget for a comedy it's kind of ridiculous how how many effects are in it but george lucas himself is that correct lucas loved this movie so much he basically handed industrial light and magic to mel brooks and said use them yeah, he did. Gave him permission to, like, parody anything he wanted in Star Wars. The only catch was they couldn't make any actual merchandise, which makes uh, Mel Brooks' other character in the movie uh, whole shtick ironic. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, we'll get into the merchandising. So, okay, so we have a lot of special effects. We have all these, you know, there's a tractor beam being shot into Princess Vespa's, you know, with his, what is it, a Ferrari, Porsche? What is her? I forget. Mercedes. Yeah, she's got a space Mercedes, apparently. Well, she is a Druish princess. That makes sense. Yes, and so uh, Lone Star is called in by, by the king whose daughter is now being menaced by uh, the space balls. He's like, you know, Lone Star, I need someone to save my daughter. She's being attacked. They're going to kidnap her. And Lone Star's like, well, I can only do it for a lot of money. And it turns out, you know, they owe all this money to Pizza the Hut or Pizza's going to send out for them. So it's a million dollars or a million space bucks. They owe a million space bucks to Pizza the Hut. So Lone Star tells uh, Roland, he's like, well, we'll rescue your daughter for only a mil for a million. He's like, no, not a million. So anyway, this is how Lone Star gets called in as a renegade, and they go, and they have to rescue the princess from the tractor beam. And this is where we get one of the more juvenile jokes in the movie, the uh, how they they stop the radar and how they stop the space balls from being able to track <laughs> Princess Vespa. Sarah, why don't you walk us through this one? Well, they jam it. Jam it? How would they jam it? By throwing a big-ass jar of jam at it. Yeah, again, I always like this one because it's a term you hear in a lot of space movies, jamming the radar. We're going to jam their radar. And Mel Brooks, of course, just kind of took that to the next level where they literally just throw a jar of jam into the radar dish. And it's the raspberry. The raspberry. Yeah, Dark Helmet hates the raspberry. <laughs> and then you got the amazing Michael Winslow doing his own uh, sound effects. Yeah. Yeah, okay, more 80s stuff here. This uh, The younger crowd may not know Michael Winslow. The the Police Academy movies in the 80s, one of the my favorite. I'm a big fan of, I will say, at least the first two Police Academy movies. And one of the big standout guys was Michael Winslow, the, the black guy who did the sound effects. He can do the sound effect of anything. And this is his his last great hurrah, I believe, him bringing brought back to dude Spaceballs, where they, he does all the radar sound effects. And there's a hilarious scene, I'm just thinking, I'm laughing just thinking in my head, where where Dark Helmet comes over to Michael Winslow, and Michael Winslow's making all the radar sound effects. And uh, and, and Michael Winslow's like, uh, it's coming for the radar, sir. Like he's, he's doing, uh, as if he's speaking over a, 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 a what is it, a, a PA system? Yeah. Yeah, he's like speaking over a PA system. And so Dark Helmet says, you don't need to speak over that PA system, sir. And they pull away the PA microphone. And Michael Winslow still talks as if he's over a PA system. And Dark Helmet has a little spaz attack where he attacks the PA system. <laughs> Chucks it off the screen. Just a, a great little Rick Moranis spaz moment where he freaks out and just attacks this console. <laughs> 
All right, so any uh, I'm trying not to skip any over any funny parts from the scene. Are there any great jokes or lines from this section I'm, I'm forgetting here? Well, you have the jam actually dripping down the monitor. <laughs> yes. That's how he knows it's Lone Star. And you have the assholes on the ship, too, another one. That was there before that, actually, uh, while they're firing on a on a Princess Vespa. We missed that. <laughs> it's like, across her nose, not up it. Yeah, they they're shooting these warning shots at Princess Vespa and and Dark Helmet's like I, I told you to fire a warning shot across her nose, not up it. And he's like, man, who are all these assholes surrounding me or something? And the and Colonel Sanders says, well, that's this guy, Major. He's Major asshole. <laughs> I don't know. I, I kind of forget the whole little setup of this. Like eventually, he's like, it's like how many of you are assholes? And everybody except one guy gets up. Then Moranis is like, I knew it. I'm surrounded by assholes. <laughs> It is funny what a PG family movie could get away with back then. That that little spiel right there. And then he like brings down the face visor. Goes keep firing, assholes. <laughs> okay, so the space balls are firing on Princess Vespa, and 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 Lone Star has jammed their radar with a big ass jar of jam. And he comes down. They come down and they save the princess and Dot. They pull her out. And of course, since the princess is a spoiled rich brat, she's got a huge set of matched luggage. She forces them to carry it up into their with the Millennium Falcon, whatever the equivalent, I for always forget the name of his ship. And Barf as a mug is like whimpering when she tells him this. It's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So they get up in the ship, and instantly, this uh, spoiled Druish princess and Lone Star start arguing over who's in charge, what's going on, what rules she must follow, how she's upset that her quarters in the back of the ship are not clean, and it's like the whole you know Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher thing where they're going to fall in love. They hate each other at first, but they're going to fall in love. And there's just a wonderful understated moment here. I, I wrote down my notes. I specifically wanted to mention this, where where the uh, uh, Princess Vespa's ship gets pulled up into Spaceball One, and they're preparing to board the ship, and or they're preparing to board and abduct her. She's not in there anymore. It's just an empty ship, but they're getting ready to go in there. And and uh, <laughs> this guard, guard right next to Mar- Rick Moranis says, "I will board the ship or something." And Rick Moranis says, "No, I'll take care of it. I'll do it." And what is the thing the guy says? It's the stupidest little... He says, he says like, Yaholor helmet? Yeah, I don't know. I I have, Yahoy mein General, which is like German or something. I think that's what they were going for. He yeah. just looks at him. Yeah, Moranis has the perfect little double take, where he just kind of stops and looks over at the guy and looks back towards us. <laughs> it's like, whatever. Yeah, I know. Like, there's no way to properly convey that just by quoting that scene. Just You just have to watch the way Rick Moranis can sell a joke and how he makes that ten times funnier with his reaction shot. Then when they tell him, like, they saw the trace of the Winnebago, it's like, Lone Star bangs on the side of the Mercedes, door <laughs> falls down on him, makes the faceplate go down and falls into the, into the car. Yes, although you forgot the part right before that where he opens the door and nobody's in there and he's furious and all his underlings immediately grab their balls and step back. (laughs) Now that's the kind of stuff I can appreciate in a comedy. The running joke that every time someone's angry, it's going to be a nut shot for somebody. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so the space balls are angry that Lone Star has saved the princess and they're going to go after her. And this will lead to one of the absolute signature scenes in this movie. Made me laugh when I was 13, made me laugh when I was 25, still makes me laugh today, the uh, ludicrous speed scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the big Spaceball 1 is coming after Lone Star, and Lone Star jumps to uh, light speed, which is apparent. what's it called, hyperactive in this one? Hyperactive, yeah. <laughs> and so Lone, speed, Lone Star goes shooting off into space, and Dark Helmet's all furious. He's like, where'd they go? What happened? And Colonel Sanders like, well, would they jump to light speed? And what is it? Dark Helmet says... What do we got on this thing? A Cuisinart? 
<laughs> and just the way how he sells that line that just makes it even funnier. <laughs> yeah, you know. Again, I, 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 I'm saying, I'm saying this. I said, mentioned it at the earlier in the podcast. I'm saying it again. I did not expect to laugh as much when I was watching this movie as I did when I was seeing it last night. And it's all just Rick Moranis. That's again, I keep beating people over the head with how funny he was at his peak. And so yeah, light uh, Lone Star goes shooting off into light speed, and Dark Helmet wants to chase him, and and they want to go to light speed, and Dark Helmet's like, no, that's too slow. <laughs> like what? Light speed light- too slow. Yeah, it likes to be too slow, and Dark Helmet's like, no, we must jump right to ludicrous speed. <laughs> Which, again, it's kind of an airplane gag. You kind of see that there's three speeds on the pedometer and the odometer in the in the plane. Uh, three speeds on the control panel in Spaceball 1. It goes light speed, and then what is next? Ridiculous speed? Yeah. <laughs> and then ludicrous speed, the third one. Apparently, like, a Tesla, like, na- like, uh... For their Tesla motors, they name their speeds after that. <laughs> I did read that. Where did you see that? Is that in, in... on the IMDb trivia page? Yeah. So Tesla, the company, actually invented and they actually have a speed called ludicrous speed that they use based on this movie. And then after that, plaid speed. <laughs> plaid. Yeah, plaid is the fourth apparently. <laughs> yeah. So, so Spaceball One goes l- launching into ludicrous speed, which is apparently the fastest speed you can go in the galaxy before you literally turn into the color plaid. <laughs> there's a great running joke where where they're telling uh, Dark Helmet to buckle up. Hey, you want to put on your seatbelt? And he's like, ah, buckle this. <laughs> and so Spaceball One just goes flying down into space way past. They they must go past the Millennium Falcon by, you know, by 10 light years. They go so far past them, and they have to stop. And again, this is the one of the signature scenes of the movie where <laughs> Dark Helmet's like, stop, stop, we've gone too far. And they're like, no, we can't stop. It's too dangerous. And they... One of the guys pulls the emergency brake, and Dark Helmet just goes flinging headfirst into the control panel. <laughs> and I'm sorry, I could watch that a hundred times, and I will not, I will never not laugh. That will always be funny. Yeah, it's really, and then when like when he gets up and it's like he's all dazed, it's like, well, what what do we do now? It's like, why don't we take a five minute break, smoke if you got him. Yeah, this is where uh, Rick Moranis turns into Louis Tully from Ghostbusters for five minutes. <laughs> he, he literally becomes Louis because he's been bashed in the head and he has no idea what's going on. So just a little, another little Rick Moranis moment here. It's good as a comedy because like the Expanse recently showed what happens if you come to a dead stop after that kind of speed. Yeah, there probably would be a neck break involved at the very minimum. More than that. <laughs> I don't know if the movie would be as funny if he's like a paraplegic the last half of the movie in a wheelchair. I don't know if the the comedy sells at that point. Yeah. <laughs> Although we are leaving out a great joke here, a great wordplay joke where <laughs> right before they launch into ludicrous speed, Colonel Sanders doesn't want to do it. And uh, Dark Helmet goes, what's the matter, Colonel Sanders? Chicken? And then like when he says prepare ship, like he squawks it out like a chicken. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so... So anyway, Lone Star and Barf and the Princess and Dot have escaped, and, and Spaceball One is so far out in the other galaxy, we might as well be in a different galaxy at this point. <laughs> and so, you know, they're going to return the Princess to the planet Druidia, and they can't because, oh, it looks like Lone Star forgot to fill up on gas, which is a nice, convenient plot twist. <laughs> of course. So they have to crash land on the nearest planet. It turns out it's some uh, desert planet. Do you remember what this planet's called? Oh, it's the, it's the Moon of Vega. There you go, the moon of Vega. See, this is why I brought you on. You're my trivia expert, as you said. It's like I just watched the movie. I should know this. (laughs) 
So they crash land on this moon of Vega, and it's like a desert planet, and they basically crash, and they have nowhere to go, so they have to walk through the desert and find something, someone who can help them, and we get some great, uh, it's like Lawrence of Arabia music in the background, I think, and they're just walking across the desert, and they're carrying Her Royal Highness's matched luggage, which is a <laughs> ridiculous suitcase that's like as big as everybody else. <laughs> Yeah, and then like uh, Lone Star Bar for Lone Star just like had it like that's it. What's in the hell's in this thing? Yeah, that's uh, he he opens it up. What's in there? The uh, industrial strength, five hundred pound hair dryer. Yeah, <laughs> that she can't live without. She tells us this. This <laughs> is my absolute essential. I cannot live without my hair dryer in the desert. <laughs> All right, so. They eventually pass out in the desert. It's too hot, and there's no water, and they pass out. And Well, don't forget, like, uh, the uh, plot line setting up scene where they're camped out for the night first. Oh, I forgot about that. You're right. Thank you. Yeah, there's a uh... – okay, there's two things that happen here. Thank you for reminding me. The first is a scene when they, they camp for the night, and Princess Vespa and Prince – not Prince, sorry. I don't mean to spoil the movie – but Lone Star start talking, and they, they're still arguing, but they're starting to kind of fall in love. They kind of have the hots for each other. And they, we learn about their backstory, how she would only marry for love. She won't just marry someone because they're a prince. And we find out that Lone Star was an orphan as a baby. Nobody knows who he is or where he comes from. He just has this little inscription around his neck that was, like, found with him as a baby. He doesn't know what it means. And, you know, they, we find out their story, and they're kind of they're about to start kissing. And then Dot, the uh, robot, her virgin alarm goes off which is designed to go off before Lone Star does. Yeah. It's like, it's like barfing. It's like, what, what, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. And he's, he's sleeping on the mashed luggage and then burning the rest of it. Okay, so we have the campfire scene. Everyone's established their backstory, and I, I don't want to ruin the super secret twist at the end of the movie, but Lone Star will be a prince, and he will end up marrying her. But we'll get to that later. Now we go to one of the more clever scenes in the movie, and like I said, there was a couple at the beginning that really jumped out at me as a kid of just being very intelligent for a movie like this, and this is one of them, the, the video rewind scene. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for people who don't remember or know this movie, there's a scene where they're looking for Lone Star, and they're looking for their captives, and they don't know where they are, they don't know which planet they crash-landed on, so they decide they're going to get the, the VHS copy of the movie and they're going to watch it and they're going to find out how the movie ends. So they just literally fast forward through the scenes that we've already seen in the movie and we get to the, the them on the, the desert planet and there's a whole great scene with Rick Moranis just being confused how this works. Like, wait, how do we, how are we watching a movie that we're making now? And it gets into this whole little who's on first routine about when is now now and when will soon be, it's, it's, when will soon be here. Just a very clever scene that again, even as a kid, I remember thinking that's actually very a clever scene for a comedy. You don't see stuff like that in most movies. No, I haven't seen anything like that since, really. And the Rick Moranis line here that I love so much where we see him going headfirst into the console again when he crashed in ludicrous speed, and he gets all upset, and he's like, no, 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 skip past this. In fact, never play this again. <laughs> and then, like, uh, just to go before that, when he's going to get the video, like, on the shelf, it's like all of Mel Brooks's past movies. <laughs> yes. on the shelf and above it it says Mr. Video Rental or something like that oh yeah yeah we've had the Mr. series all throughout this movie Mr. DVD or Mr. Coffee Mr. Radar and Mr. Video yeah and I believe if you have this movie on DVD it's even called Mr. DVD when you go to the main menu it is all right, so our heroes, the next morning, they pass out in the desert, and they are rescued, as luck would have it. They were on the, 
uh, Planet Disneyland with the little midgets here. These little Jawas, they're called the Dink Dinks, apparently. Dink Dinks. <laughs> dink Dinks. So they come and they rescue them, and they pour water on them, and they have their little Dink Dink song that they sing, which is, uh, what is it? What, it's a parody of something. It's from the uh, Bridge of the River Kauai. Yeah, because that was the, the main crossover audience, the Bridge of the River Kauai and Spaceballs fans. Oh, and Lawrence of Arabia, but that nice dissolve, don't forget that. Yes, nice dissolve, we have that. And so they rescue our heroes and they take them to this temple, and it's the temple of, again, we haven't seen Yoda yet, because Yoda was the big Jedi master at the time in the late 80s, we hadn't had all the prequels, so he's the only big Jedi. So we go down to the temple of this Jedi master, and his name is Yogurt, parody of Yoda, and it's Mel Brooks, and this little green or silver faced and green costume and he's walking around on his knees it looks very painful it really looks like it was not a fun role to play he said it was it was not fun but it was worth it yeah you're in full prosthetics and face paint walking around on your knees it's not not how i would choose to spend my day as an actor <laughs> all right so we learned that yogurt is the keeper of like we said in star wars it's the force here it's called the schwartz and Yogurt is the keeper of the Schwartz. He's got this magic ring, and he explains all about why he's here, what he does down here. He trains Lone Star in the ways of the Schwartz, how to lift things, how to lift a statue. And this is where we get the famous merchandise scene, which... um, Merchandising. Merchandising. Yeah, I'll let you explain this one. Talk about the why, the in-joke on the merchandising and why this is a funny scene. Well, when the, when uh, Mel Brooks like got permission from George Lucas to like parody Star Wars to get his his, his uh, blessing to do it all, the only caveat that was they cannot have any merchandise because it would look too much like Star Wars stuff. So Mel Brooks was like, "Yeah, sure, fine, whatever." And so then the joke of yogurt is that all he does, like when Lone Star and, Q- and crew are not there, is he just merchandising. He got Spaceballs the breakfast cereal, Spaceballs the lunchbox, Spaceball the coloring book, Spaceballs the t-shirt, Spaceballs the flamethrower. <laughs> and Spaceballs the doll, yogurt. And we will see other stuff in the movie, too. There's, like, Spaceballs the toilet paper at one point, Spaceballs the towel, there's a bed sheet at one point. Spaceballs the placemat. Yeah, although, to, true to his word, Mel Brooks never did actually produce merchandising for this movie. Again, like you said, that was his that was his agreement with Lucas. And there never was a single piece of Spaceballs merchandise sold. No, the, the closest he got was, like, just the soundtrack, but that's it. Yeah. And I should point out, if you're, or if you're a sharp-eyed viewer, if you watch that merchandise scene, you'll see that, indeed, those aren't even Spaceballs merchandise. That's just Transformers merchandise, that they just put a Spaceballs logo over the top. You can see Optimus Prime with a lunchbox and coloring book. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Optimus Prime, a main character here in Spaceballs. <laughs> Bumblebee, are you going to transform? I ain't going to do shit. <laughs> okay, so... They're down in the temple, and we and we now they're safe with yogurt, and they're learning the ways of the Schwartz. And this is where we get the signature scene that Sarah had talked about earlier, where the Spaceballs have finally figured out which planet they're on because they watched the videotape. They come to the planet, and they start uh, searching, and they are told by their leader, President Scroob, he says, I want you to comb the desert. Do you hear me? Comb the desert! And in typical Mel Brooks fashion, they take that very literally. Well, like Colonel Sanders even asked him, did we, did, did we, are we doing this too literally? It's like, no, he said comb the desert, so we're going to comb the desert. And the funny thing is, like, he has the megaphone, which he uses right in Colonel Sanders' face. But when he calls to the space balls combing how they're doing, he doesn't use it. <laughs> yeah, it's – and I will say for people who – I don't know if many people saw this in the theater that would be listening to this episode. But I obviously saw Spaceballs a couple times in the theater because I thought it was so funny. 
This is absolutely the biggest laugh in the movie was the them combing the desert. And then we cut over to the, the two guys dragging the tiniest little Afro pick through the desert. And they cut to, like, have you found anything? And they go to the, the little dudes holding the Afro pick. And the one black guy says, we ain't found shit. And that was such a huge laugh in the theater. That's the one everyone remembers, even though Sarah on TV only got the Nook version. Yeah, from Nook. Although in your living room, that still got the biggest laugh in the movie. Oh, it did. It certainly did. <laughs> like that, that like was quoted by me and my brother for like, still quoted now. <laughs> put it that way. You know what's funny is at the at the end of every one of these episodes, I do a little stinger. I take a clip from the movie and I put it on there. It's like a little piece of dialogue after the music. And I'm gonna try to find the TV version of that if possible. We had it on tape. I just wish I knew where it was so I could record it for you. <laughs> Okay, well, indeed, if I can't find it, I will just dub something in there and make it sound like that. So I will create my own version of We Ain't Found Nook. It's got to be, like, really garbled, like, Nook, like, kind of like that. <laughs> it's got to be the Yiddish version of Nook with a little phlegm in there. Yeah, Nook. exactly. Exactly. Okay, so so they're down searching the desert and combing the desert, and they can't find anybody. And then Dark Helmet suddenly realizes he's close to yogurt. He feels a disturbance, a strange disturbance in the Schwartz. And he looks around, and they find this buried temple where everybody is. And they want to go in there, and they want to get the princess. Because, again, they're still trying to hold her ransom for all this air. And they can't go down there because yogurt has the more powerful side of the Schwartz. Apparently the Schwartz is a like a decoder ring almost that you get in a box of Cracker Jacks. And yogurt got that. I don't. I didn't understand all the mysticism here. It's very complex. That there's two sides to every Schwartz. He's got the upside. Dark Helmet's got the dark side or the downside. But like, what did Dark Helmet say when they found the door to his to his like a little cavern there? It's like yogurt. I hate yogurt. Even with strawberries. <laughs> yes. So they cannot just barge in and barge into the temple of yogurt and steal the girl because he has the stronger side of the decoder ring. So they must lure her out. So they have this big elaborate thing where Dark Helmet appears as her father, Princess or, uh, King Roland. And she he's like, come out here, uh, Vespa, come, I need you. And so she goes out there in the middle of the night and so does her matron, Dot, and they get kidnapped by Dark Helmet. So all of a sudden, our act two ends with all being lost. The villains have kidnapped Princess Vespa. They're going to take her up to their ship. They're going to hold her for ransom. And it looks like all is lost for our beloved hero, Lone Star. But is it? Exactly. That's that's the that's the twist part. There's an act three. Go into act three. <laughs> yeah. That's the great thing about this movie. This one has an act three. <laughs> okay, so the bad guys have Vespa up on the ship and they're ready to hold her for ransom, but before they hold her for ransom and they present their demands, we have one of my favorite scenes in this movie, and it was apparently a hundred percent improvised by Rick Moranis, and I'm talking about the doll scene. Yes. Yeah, so if you want to see the genius of Rick Moranis, just watch this scene where he's a, he's got all these little dolls of all the people in the movie, and he's just playing with them and play-acting how he wants the story to go, and how Dark Helmet's this big, virile man, and he defeats Lone Star, and he defeats Barf, and he defeats Dot, and he makes out with Princess Vespa, and she's like, I'm strangely attracted to you, I love you, but I hate you. And he's like, yes, Druish princesses are often attracted to power and money, and I have both. She's like, oh, your helmet is so big. And they're like making out. <laughs> and that's that's Rick Moranis making that up in one take. He's just inventing dialogue there. Yeah, they just told him the idea. Like, like Dark Helmet's playing with dolls. He'd go with it. <laughs> and then, of course, one of the other best laughs in the movie, in the theater, this one got a big one, too, where Colonel Sanders barges in behind him. You're needed on the bridge, sir. And Dark Helmet gathers up all his dolls and tries to hide them. 
He's like, you didn't see anything, did you? And Sanders is like, no, sir, I didn't see you playing with your dolls again. <laughs> All right, so now we get to one of the big standout scenes in Spaceballs, the one that everybody quotes, and I have said this before in the early 90s on, like, message boards, on stuff like Prodigy. I was on Prodigy and AOL. Oh, my God, Prodigy. Yeah, Prodigy, old school. <laughs> they always have movie quote contests where people just name their favorite quotes and try to make people laugh. The, the the quote in this scene, the one, two, three, four, five, was the quote that would almost always win that contest. So uh, I will let you uh, explain the demands that the Spaceballs have for Prince for King Roland with his daughter. Yeah, so, so in order to get the the code to open up the air shield to steal Planet uh their their oxygen their air, they they have they bring in this plastic surgeon, the best in the galaxy, in Beverly Hills. <laughs> yes. And, like, it's like, I don't understand. She already had a nose job. It's like, oh, no. <laughs> like, King Roland, we're going to give her back her old nose. <laughs> and this is god-awfully ugly witch nose. Yeah, it's it's a thing of beauty, that old nose she had. And then it's like, it's like she's like, no, Daddy, don't do it. And then she passes out. She's <laughs> like, all right, all right, I'll, I'll do it. And then this is where they... They finally get him to give in. They get the king to give in. They're like, he's like, all right, please don't hurt my daughter. Don't give her back her big hook nose she used to have. And they're like, okay, well, we need the combination to your air shield that apparently the planet Druidia has all the air left in the galaxy. And it's got an air shield over the top, which you must open to get in, which I should point out is exactly what happened in real life in or in real life, but in a real movie in Rogue One, they literally swiped that exact idea, just this little uh, gate that only opens in one place. Yeah, I mean, like, how about give some credit to Mel Brooks there, Rogue One people. That's right. Mel Brooks, predicting the future of the Star Wars movies. <laughs> like the Disneyland line there, too, hey. That's, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. All right, so they get the king to give the, uh, the, sh- the, the combination to the air shield. They have this big shield, and so they have to write down the combination. So King Roland, this is uh, Dick, uh, Dick Van Patten saying, all right, well, the combination that everybody in the universe is trying to get, the most feared, you know, the most notorious combination in the galaxy is one, two, three, four, five. <laughs> The sigh, the big sigh at the end. That's how. That's how. That's what sells it right there. One, two, three, four, five. It's the kind of thing an idiot would have on his luggage. Yeah, there you go. That's the kind of thing an idiot would have on his luggage. It's the stupidest combination ever. So again, you could win any quote contest in about 1992 with that quote right there. That's that one of the most beloved comedy movie quotes around at the time. <laughs> um, I will go off topic here for a second. You are a fan of mystery science theater as well, I hear, right? Of course. Uh, Johnny Longbow from Track of the Moon Beast. Do you know that one? I've se- I've seen that one, but like only once, and it was a while ago. Okay, I just want to. I may cut this out of the podcast. I'm not sure, but the scene where he's naming the ingredients in his stew, and he's like, it's got corn, green peppers, garlic, and then he sighs. He's like, onions. So I always think of that when I see the one, two, three, four, five. <laughs> it's the sigh before the last ingredient that sells the joke. <laughs> oh, I gotta watch that episode again now. All right, there you go for our Mystery Science Theater fans right there. The connection between Mystery Science Theater and Spaceballs. It's a bit of a stretch. No nerds here today. (laughs) Okay, so the princess has been detained in a a prison complex, and the bad guys have the key to the air shield. They're going to go. We didn't mention President Scrooge coming in there, though. President Scrooge. Oh, yeah, you do that part. Give us the President Scrooge entrance here. Yeah, he comes in. Well, before that, like when they're done with uh, King Roland, he goes to turn off the screen. 
but he winds up turning off the movie. <laughs> and so it's just a black screen, and like you hear Dark Helmet going, "What'd you do?" <laughs> like I turned off the. No, he didn't. He turned off the whole movie. You just turn it back on. And then, and then, like the movie comes back on, you see Doctor Schlocken in the back, like making out with his nurse. <laughs> yes. And then President Scrooge comes in and goes, "Oh, you got the. Oh, you got the. Uh, you got the combination. What is it? One, two, three, four, five. It's amazing. It's the same combination on my luggage." <laughs> yes. Perfect little callback joke to the what kind of an idiot would have that on his luggage. <laughs> Exactly. Okay, so again, all the the nefarious plans are now in motion. The bad guys have the key to the air shield, the the combination to the air shield. They're going to go steal all the air. They have no use for the princess anymore. And this is where we have the only only hero in the universe that can save the day, Lone Star. He's going to go save Princess Vespa. He goes to the detention facility where she's being held. And they get there, and he and Barf need uniforms so they can sneak in amongst the the guards. And as luck would have it, there's two guards right outside the prison facility, and one of them is hugely fat, so he's got like the extra husky pair of armor that would fit John Candy nicely. So I always thought that was a nice touch. And then it's like he he comes out of the out of the door to lure them in, like making a kissy face and give him the finger. <laughs> and of course, the first time I saw that, the finger is blurred out. So it's like I don't know what he's doing with his hand. Yeah, he was like holding up a piece of fried chicken or something in the TV version. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, so they, they beat up the guards and they go inside and Lone Star and Barf go and save the princess. And this is a one of the more random jokes in this movie when she's sitting in her cell and they get in there and she's singing like an old 19th century plantation uh, uh, spiritual song. Like nobody knows the trouble I've seen in a big bass voice, which I, there's no reason for that joke to be in the movie. It just always makes me laugh that that's the song she would choose to sing. Like Mel Brooks, like offered to bring in like a lower singer to do that part. She's like, "Oh no, I can do it." <laughs> so they rescue her and they rescue Dot and they have this big escape. And there's some wonderful moments in this in this escape scene where at one point they're all shooting at John Candy and he pulls up this uh, curved pipe off the wall and all the bullets that come in, all the the lasers that come into the pipe go shooting right back at the person who shot them. And here's another one of those moments that I just thought was so clever when I saw this when I was 13 that it's more intelligent scene than you'd see in some other movies like this where, you know, the good guys are being chased and they get captured and it turns out, oh, no, it wasn't them. They captured the stunt doubles instead of the actual. Well, it did this like this sweet move of running down the hallway with fire going all around them. The door's closing and they all dive through the door. Yeah. And that's when they get caught. And it's like, oh, no, it's their stunt doubles. And the guy is played by Stephen Tobolowsky that catches them. Oh, yeah, that's uh, uh, Needle-Nose Ned from uh, Groundhog Day. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so again, it, and when I'm a kid, I'm a budding young comedy writer. That's the kind of stuff that jumps out at me about this movie, stuff like, oh, you didn't capture them, you captured their stunt doubles. Like that. That's a very outside-of-the-box thinking into writing a comedy scene, I think. And then for some reason, the Vespa stunt double, uh, besides being a guy, he's smoking a stogie and has a Hitler mustache. Yes, oh, well, most stunt doubles do have the Hitler. That was very stylish <laughs> in the 80s. <laughs> it's like the rest of them all like like nook normal then it's a guy with a hitler stash don't inexplicable hitler stash well again i mean mel brooks certainly no stranger to making fun of hitler in his movies so it would not be out of character to... oh of course they had to throw that in there somehow <laughs> yeah, have the hitler stunt double for no reason okay so they get out to their thing they're about to escape and this is another one of my favorite scenes when i was a kid i always remember laughing really hard at this where they hand the gun to Princess Vespa, you know, the, the delicate Druish princess. And she's like, I don't like guns. I'm not shooting at anybody. And then the bad guys start shooting, and they act, one of them hits her in the hair, and she gets all pissed. It's like, he shot me in the hair. 
son of a bitch. <laughs> pulls a Ralphie from A Christmas Story, and she pulls out that gun and just blows everyone away like Rambo. <laughs> <laughs> Wilhelm screams abound. Yes, and there is a Wilhelm scream for fans of that. It's a, the guy that gets shot in the butt, right? The bad guy? Yeah. Okay, so here we go to the last part of the movie, the last half hour, where the bad guys don't need Vespa. They don't care about Lone Star. They're just going to steal the air from Druidia now, and they, their spaceship flies over to Druidia. And this is where we get one of the big special effects moments in this movie. That This must have cost an awful lot for 1986 or 7 when this was filmed where their spaceship transforms. It, like, it transforms from a spaceship into Mega Maid, like a giant maid with a vacuum cleaner. Yeah. Which, I, I, that would have been a sweet toy to have. So I'm kind of pissed they didn't do the merchandising for this movie, because I absolutely would have gone to the Maid to the Spaceship Transformer. That would have been that would have been one of the better ones, I think. I mean, they could do that. There's no Mega Maid in Star Wars. Come on. <laughs> yeah, so Mega Maid, she lines up, and she's got a vacuum cleaner, and they open the air shield, and they put the vacuum down into Druidia, and they start sucking out the air. This is how they're going to take the air, and it's a actually a really kind of cool scene for a for a middling comedy that there's a lot of special effects going on here. It's a neat effect. I said, like the production values of this movie are just amazing. Yeah. You, and again, you don't, you don't remember that until you watch this movie again. You don't remember how many special effects are floating around in it. Yeah. Okay. So Lone Star goes and they see that Druidia is being drained of all its air. And Lone Star, of course, since he's been Schwartz training with yogurt, he uses his ring to make the air in the vacuum go from on to reverse, that it all of a sudden pushes the air back down into the planet, which it seems like a structural flaw to me that they would have designed their own Mega Maid to have a reverse air setting. Well, they got to get it out of there somehow with the planet Spaceball. I know. I'm just saying, <laughs> I don't buy that. This is where it does not ring true to me, that I do not believe they would have set it up with a reverse setting where they could push the air back down onto the planet. <laughs> Seems like a waste of money. You really get a question logic at this point. <laughs> you know, it's all based on a true story up to this point. So this is where <laughs> they kind of lose me a little bit. Yeah, this is where I think the movie starts getting full of nyuk. <laughs> okay, so Lone Star has reversed the air, and the space bows are like, what's happening? What's going on? They have no idea what's happened. They don't know why the air is being pushed down to the planet. And so here we go to the big, the biggest signature scene in the movie, rife with quotes where... Lone Star flies in, and they're going to go, they fly into Mega Maid, into her head. They're looking for a self-destruct button, and Lone Star will end up meeting Dark Helmet for the first time. And to say this scene is full of good quotes is kind of underselling it, because it is really just some of the best quotes of any comedy movie in the 80s, one after the other coming up here. Oh, for sure. Including my mom's favorite line. <laughs> now, what is your mom's favorite line? Which one? Well, like when they're fighting and like near the end of the fight and like Dark Helmet takes the ring and he starts mocking Lone Star. It's like, I can't believe you fell for that, man. My mom dies at that every time. <laughs> yeah. And it, when I saw this in the theater, this is the scene that really won me over in this movie. And there's again, there's a lot of stuff in this movie that really won me over and still does. But yeah, this is the one the why this is such a kind of a beloved comedy classic where. Lone Star's in there, he's, there's a, a self-destruct button. Again, I don't know why they would design a self-destruct button, but again, we're kind of, it's like the, we're kind of like Galaxy Quest here. We'll just go with it at this point. Well, like, why does Star Wars have a shaft that you could self-destruct from? <laughs> they watched all the historical documents and they learned. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, so Lone Star goes in there, he's going to blow up Mega Maid, and then Dark Helmet shows up, and Dark Helmet has the great line, uh, no, Lone Star has the first line, the first salvo. He fires the first quip where Lone Star says, So, at last we meet for the first time, for the last time. And then he checks himself to make sure he got that right. Yeah, the logic was correct. It does That does hold up here. <laughs> and then uh, 
Dark Helmet says, Before we meet, I just want you to know that I am your father's, brother's, nephew's, cousin's, former roommate. So what's that make us? Absolutely nothing. Which is what you're going to be when I'm through with you. <laughs> yeah, and again, that was, you have to think that, uh, Empire Strikes Back only came out six years before this movie, so that would have been very fresh in everyone's head, saying, I am your father. So, of course, you got to reveal that with the most arcane, uh, oblique relationship possible, the father's brother's nephew's cousin's former roommate. <laughs> Just take that to the next level. <laughs> yeah, so they, they pull out their lightsabers, and of course, because it's a Mel Brooks movie, they start them down by their crotch, so basically they have two little lightsaber dicks popping out. It's like I see your Schwartz is as big as mine, and they both look down. <laughs> now, was that scene included on TV, the dick fight? No, oh, it was. Okay, just checking. It, they, the only thing they cared about was, like, the cursing. So we have their, they start fighting with their lightsabers, Dark Helmet and Lone Star. And again, just another, like I keep saying, there was always these little moments in this movie that I thought were so clever for this type of comedy where... They start fighting, and then at one point, Dark Helmet goes a little off camera and swings his lightsaber wildly and kills the boom mic operator. <laughs> that, like, that, that, like, first time I saw that, we had to stop the movie because I was laughing so damn hard. <laughs> so the boom mic guy goes, falls off. He's like, ah! And then Dark Helmet just kind of looks at him all sheepishly, and he points at Lone Star. He's like, he did it. <laughs> yeah, so that's the little kind of stuff that the comedy writer in me just always stuck with me about this movie. Just little things like that where they kind of make fun of the conventions of movies or think outside the box. You're killing someone just to the left of the screen, stuff like that. And he was wearing a Spaceballs the t-shirt. He was. And then we get the moment that your your mom loves so much where Dark Helmet can't well, beat first, him. Well, first, before that, though, they get their Schwartz twisted. The Schwartz gets twisted, which is very painful. <laughs> and then Dark Helmet can't win the fight against the good guy, so he offers to shake his hand and tell him good luck. And then he pulls off his Schwartz ring, and this is the part that your mom loved so much. I, I don't know. Like, like, my mom's humor is, like, very straightforward she doesn't like anything like dirty or anything like that but when it but some scenes like just have her laughing so damn hard that's one of them like the scene with the with the smelly uh uh diaper and anchor man gets her like rolling on the floor <laughs> yeah i have a, a similar story about my mom i was going to save this for blazing saddles but I'll, I'll i'll spell it now my mom very prim and proper lutheran woman very very uh did not like R-rated movies, did not like her son seeing things that were a bad influence. To her dying day, there were two scenes that made her laugh harder than anything else. One was the Blazing Saddles scene where the cowboys are all farting around the campfire. <laughs> <laughs> that murdered her. Like, she's like, I could not, I had, to, I had to take myself out of the theater. I was laughing so hard the first time I saw that. And the other one that really won my mom over was in Pulp Fiction, where John Travolta shoots Marvin in the face. <laughs> that got her laugh? Wow. <laughs> that got such a laugh out of her in the theater. She, like, had to leave the theater for a second. Cause she, and even afterwards, she's like, why did I laugh at that? <laughs> and I'm like, it was funny, Mom. I don't know, but they shot Marvin in the face. It was funny. <laughs> so those were the two. So, yeah, so our moms had similar tastes, perhaps. Probably, yeah. This is sound alike. And so now we get to my... I think this is my personal favorite in the movie. In fact, I, I used to have this as a signature line when you had signatures on AOL or Prodigy or when you ever, you when you first started on the Internet, you always had, had a little sig line or a little quote that summed up your what you believed in the world, all your all your values and stuff. So this was my quote for like every profile I ever had on the Internet for the first 20 years. So Lone Star, now you see that evil will always triumph because good is dumb. And like in the commentary, Mel Brooks says, I believe that. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, it's a great quote, and it's so blunt. And I've seen, you can go on the Internet and search, and you'll see high school seniors like to use that as their quote a lot of times. So I was not alone in being in being uh, moved by this particular quote and the wording of it. It's a good line. Yeah. So <laughs> yet another great line in the scene where Dark Helmet's about to kill Lone Star at the end. And, of course, how, how Dark Helmet punishes people and how he murders them is by shooting a laser beam directly into their ball sack. And so he's got a great quote here where Dark Helmet's last line is, Say goodbye to your two best friends, and I don't mean your pals in the Winnebago. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so that's one of those lines I'm not sure. They don't spell it out. That's one of the dirtier lines in the movie, but they don't actually spell out as as obviously as it could be that that's a bald joke. But I, I do appreciate that that one was there. Yeah, and then like uh, when Lone Star's like like yogurt starts talking to Lone Star, it's like, but I can't, I I lost the ring. It's like, forget the ring, I found it at a Cracker Jack box. <laughs> yes, I just love that line. I know it's not particularly funny, but I just love it. <laughs> yeah, Lone Star floats down a little mirror. Uh, Dark Helmet shoots the ball blasting laser beam at him. It it reflects. It hits the self destruct. No, it hits him. He goes crashing backwards into the self destruct button. And really, this is going to be the end of the movie. The last last part of the movie is just all this chaos as Mega Maid's about to self destruct. Lone Star runs outside. They get in the Winnebago. They all fly away. And then Dark Helmet somehow gets back to the bridge of the ship. And then he and Scroob and uh, Colonel Sanders just are freaking out as the building, the whole uh, spaceship's about to self-destruct. Like trying to escape. And apparently there's like a circus in there. Like all these, all these different people from the spaceship are running to get in the uh, the escape pods, and they're like clowns and jugglers and mimes. So apparently there's like a circus in there somewhere. There's like there's like a there's like a two tiered mall, a three ring circus. Like when they're first to go to Ludicrous Speed, like Colonel Sanders is going like close the three ring circus. He's like prepared to like do all this stuff, and there's like all this like something's got to fill all that space on that ship. <laughs> yeah, so the spaceship self destructs, and nobody gets out alive, and basically it ends with uh, Sanders, Scroob, and uh, Dark Helmet flinging off through space. They're in the head of the spaceship. They end up on this old planet, like the Planet of the Apes, as a nice little Planet of the Apes homage of why the helmet and the of the the head and this torch of the Statue of Liberty are there. It's a nice... They went a long way for that joke. I don't know if it works all that well, but I appreciate that Mel Brooks had the foresight to set up the entire Planet of the Apes joke at the end. Space balls? Oh, shit. There goes the planet. Nook. <laughs> like, before that, when they're, like, with about before it blows up, they're, like... Like, you have, like, one minute to press the self like, the cancellation button. And then they find the panel. It's like, out of order. Fuck, even in the future, nothing works. Yeah, that, then that's what we talked about earlier. The one F word in this movie where Rick Moranis drops the, yeah, fuck. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it, it was very rare to see an F word in a PG-rated movie. So, more power to them for getting it in here. Really? I felt like they always say it, like, once in, like, these, like, all these, like, and who's Harry Crummett? They say it once in that movie, too. Really? Okay, that's I don't I don't know that one off the top of my head quotable, but I do know in Meatballs I think we talked about that there was an F word in there too. It's like these like these comedy movies like they got to throw in one F word cuz you're allowed it. Well, I, it's always funny watching younger people discover these old 80s PG movies cuz it shocks them how not kid-friendly a lot of them are. Yeah. And it's like, well, that was the definition of a family kids movie back then. You could get six shits and it was still a kids movie. <laughs> <laughs> there was like an arbitrary cutoff. I think even the movie Little Giants, which is another Rick Moranis movie, like, that had an F word in it. There you go. See? Rick Moranis. Winning hearts and minds. <laughs> so, yeah. So, the bad guys have been defeated, and Vespa gets returned to her uh, her wedding, and she's going to go through with it. And this is where we get one of the odder scenes in this movie. 
that I've never actually understood why the scene is here, other than Mel Brooks thought it would be funny to put in the movie the uh, the John Hurt alien chestburster scene. Oh yeah. It's like, I, I love this scene. <laughs> There's no, this has no relevance on the rest of the story. It, it, like, the movie should be over here, and we have this weird, oblique reference to Alien here where, where Lone Star and Barf go to a little, uh, go to a cafe. They're going to fill up with gas and get some food. And they, uh, they're in the cafe. They're ordering the space soup or the space special. And as they're eating, right to their left is literally John Hurt, the guy from Alien who got the chest, the alien bursting out of his chest. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the meal... He falls down and an alien bursts out of his chest again. And he's like, oh, no, not again. And then the alien pops out. And instead of, you know, fleeing off and attacking people, the alien starts going into uh, Hello, My Baby, Hello, My Darling from Michigan J. Frog from the old Warner Brothers cartoons. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what the fuck did that scene come from? And then it's like, like again, good production values for that puppet putting on the hat and dancing across the bar. But there's no reason for that to be there. It adds nothing to the movie. And then Lone Star and Barf just go out to their ship. Like, why was that there at the end of the movie? It's just weird. Well, you got to put in a Spaceballs the placemat. <laughs> yes. So we have a wonderful alien homage, and then they, they're flying around, and they, they just happen to crack open the fortune cookie that Yogurt had gave them. And, oh, look, look at a nice little plot twist here at the end where, oh, by the way, Lone Star, turns out you're a prince. Go marry go marry uh, Vespa, that, that necklace that was around your neck all these years. That's a royal birth certificate. So you're, you're royalty. You can go marry the princess. Hurry up. By the way, I also dropped some space, some liquid Schwartz in your glove compartment. Drop them in your fuel can, in your uh, emergency gas canister and get out of here. <laughs> oh, I love it, like... To rewind a bit, when when uh, Lone Star's first showing him the necklace in the in this cavern, there he, he's like yogurt starts going. It's like, oh, you can read it. It's like, no, I'm just clearing my throat. Maybe he was saying shit, shit, shit. <laughs> like, no, that's the line. It's like, it sounds like he's saying Yiddish or something. Okay, so Lone Star rushes back and he storms the wedding and he says, "I'm an honest to God prince," and he wanders up there and Vespa pushes Valium away and she and Lone Star marry and live happily ever after. And that is the end of almost embarrassed to say one of the funniest movies of the '80s, but it really is. Baseballs really does hold up pretty well, and the stuff that's very clever and works has always been very clever and has always worked, and I really think it holds up well. So I will I will give this one the Mario staff picks thumbs up that I really enjoyed watching Spaceballs last night. Just want to, like, mention like, with the wedding, both wedding scenes, like the uh, like the standout of the both scenes, Ronnie Graham as the minister, yes. who also, like, helped co-write the movie. <laughs> and he's just hilarious in, like, every line. It's like, at the beginning, when she's like, to see Princess Vespa heading right past the altar, down the ramp, and out the door. <laughs> yes. And at this time, it's like, don't be sorry, be quiet. I'm trying to marry people here. It has nothing to do with love. <laughs> yeah. Again, strong ending. And I, I, I want to thank you for recommending this one to me for staff picks. Because, again, I know you were holding out for Blazing Saddles. But you yourself even said you, this is your favorite Mel Brooks movie, which I can respect. Because this, this one is pretty solid. It, there, there are some pretty consistent laughs in this one, I would say. For sure. I mean, it's like you always remember your first, and then this one is just like, er, like all the other movies I've seen, like I like them, but it's like it's not as good as Spaceballs. <laughs> and I dare to say that even about Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein. Okay, I mean that's, I actually don't think that those movies are consistently funny all the way through. So I, you actually have a sympathetic ear. Oh, good. This one might be more consistently funny than that. Like those ones have some very high water marks, and they have some absolute brilliant things going behind them, and why they're made, and why they were written a certain way. But I do think Blazing Saddles kind of falls apart at the end, and Young Frankenstein I love, but I don't, I never liked it as much as like Airplane. Yeah, 
Also, like Western, like they were spoofing westerns and horror movies, like neither of which I've I've oh, and I've been big on. So like a lot of like maybe the reference jokes I didn't get. Like here, like I got all the reference jokes, especially like when they were transforming into like Mega Maid. He goes, "Ready, Kafka." <laughs> yeah, that is a. I think they actually he he used that in the producers. I think if I recall, he's actually swiping from his own material. But it does. That's a wonderfully obscure little reference, and I love that it shows up this Kafka reference here. Yeah, it's like if you get it, you find it hilarious. Otherwise, you just forget. You, just, you don't even think about it. And just to go back to the start of this podcast, how I said it was odd that Mel Brooks was doing a Star Wars parody. Like, you don't really think that's not really the kind of stuff he did at the time. And it was always, always like I said, the kind of the last gasp of him having a really funny movie here. But I do remember seeing an interview with him just the other day where he said, well, you know, what I do is I do genre busting movies where I make fun of a genre. And he's like, with uh, the producers, I did stage stuff with Blazing Saddles. I did Westerns with Young Frankenstein. I did horror movies. He did one called uh, Silent Movie, made fun of silent movies. And he's like, it just hit me one day. I've never done a space movie. So why not just to take that down as well? So when you understand it that way, it does make sense why he would do a Star Wars parody, even though Admittedly, like I said, it was really about five, six years too late. Had this movie come out in like 1982 or 83, I think it would have been this mega massive hit everyone would have loved. It was just a couple years too late, but I can't fault the product because it's so funny. Oh, for sure. And it's like he, he kind of had an inkling of it because at the don't remember, forget at the end of uh, History of the World Part One, they do like the coming soon in History of the World Part Two, Jews in space. Yeah, he knew it was coming. Yeah. Okay, so I think that's pretty much all the coverage we have for Spaceballs. Again, we've this podcast is going to be almost as long as the movie itself, which is barely 90 minutes. It's a very short movie. <laughs> yeah. And the la again, the laughs per minute of this one is pretty high, especially for that era. So I will give a lot of respect to Spaceballs. I just hope people see it in a different way of just being, you know, a really solid, funny movie. It's not just this little dumb comedy for kids. It really does hold up pretty well. And uh, I just wanted to have say thank you for coming by and talking about it. Um, tell us about your 30 movies project. You told me you do a lot of this stuff, and I just want to hear that before we uh, we sign off here. Oh, yeah. It started back in 2013. Like, I was looking at my Netflix queue, and, like, I realized I kept adding stuff to it but not watching any of it. Mm -hmm. So, like, you know that thing where, like, it takes three weeks to start a habit or, like, yeah, like 21 days to start a habit? So I thought, mm -hmm. what if I watch a new movie every day? I'm going to get through my queue faster. And, well, I, uh, so I did, in September, 30 days, let's watch a movie every day. It was meant to go through my Netflix queue, but over the years, as I've been adding, like, themes to it, like, the first year was just 30 random movies I hadn't seen before. And, like, that's the one rule it has to be. I, it has to be a movie I haven't seen before. And so the next year I did, like, uh, movies from the book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die. Uh, the year after that was um, IMDb's Top 250 list. And then, like, for the last two years I've done, like, um year-based movies so last year was like a movie every day like from starting in 1970 and ending in 1999 and then this no that was two years ago last year i turned 30 so i'm gonna watch all movies that all these movies that also turned 30 so from 1987 okay haven't decided what i'm doing this year yet not gonna be year-based that was too much of a pain in the ass so like i i do it but it's not making me watch movies anymore anymore than i were before <laughs> So this is something you do every year, and you've been doing yeah. it for a while? Okay, I have a great idea for you. Okay. I will get a wonderful plug-in for a movie podcast show I do called Staff Picks <laughs> that you, I think, are the 30th episode. So you could watch every movie that I've talked about on Staff Picks, and it would be a perfect 30th birthday for you. It would, except I've seen a lot of them already, so... <laughs> I know. 
I was just getting a plug out. But yeah, this is my 30th episode. I'm very excited about that. And yeah, that's, I always like when people do stuff like that where they just introduce themselves to new movies. Again, whether it's ones that I recommend or ones that people just spot on Netflix. Like for me, it's always, people are always sending me recommendations. And I just have, I have a list of like 250 movies that I'm supposed to watch. And I just kind of get through them as quickly as I can. But it's, again, it's one of those things that it's just one of those that if you just go out there and watch new movies anybody who's listening you will always pick up something unique that you hadn't thought you would have liked going into it so i just would advise anybody to kind of do stuff like sarah does here it's just it's a neat way to pick up new movies in your uh ammunition belt like the funny thing is like the it was originally just to like clear my netflix queue and now like for like 90 percent of the movies i watch like get out of the library yeah no i totally understand all right. Well, I just want to uh, thank you for stopping by, Sarah. I hope you had fun. This was a uh, an especially fun episode to talk about, and I thank. I will always give thanks to the fact that you introduced the word nook into my vocabulary. So thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. I had fun. As always, my name is Mario Lanza. You can reach me on email, staffpickspodcast at gmail.com. You can reach me on Twitter at Mario J. Lanza. And until the next time I talk to you, I will be out there searching for more underrated, underloved, and or Rick Moranis movies that I can uh, get on here and get somebody interesting to come on and talk about. I'll talk to you guys later. And don't forget, don't forget, may the Schwartz be with you. Exactly. May the Schwartz be with you. Yuck. Bye. Bye.